Welcome to the Outpouring Orlando Sermon Podcast. We exist to help people grow in Christ, share the gospel, and serve the community. We hope you enjoy today's message. Amen. Amen. If you have a Bible, as we get ready to study God's Word today, if you have a Bible, I want you to turn with me to the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 is where we'll be today. And we will be um, in verses 9 through 14. Verses 9 through 14. So excited to share in God's word today because um, I think what we'll see today is um, it, w- it will help us actually to grow in one of the most important disciplines and means of grace that God has given us, which is the area of prayer. Um, today, I think we will be enlightened um, in, in how we should shape our prayers. Um, and also what I'm excited about is we will see that prayer actually is not about us. Um, th- this text is going to expose to us that prayer is not simply about us, but prayer actually is about God. And I think in this section of Scripture today, it'll expose us to show us um, not only that prayer is about God, but it, it'll show how we should actually be praying for other people. And so I'm excited in what God is going to show us today um, in this particular passage of Scripture. So if you have your Bible, Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. And it says this, For this reason also, since the day we heard this, this is the Apostle Paul speaking, he says, we haven't stopped praying for you. We haven't stopped praying for you. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled us, enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. I love this verse 13. I love this beautiful communication of the gospel. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the son he loves. In him, in him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let us pray. God, we just want to say thank you today, Father, that we can come and gather around your word, that we can come together as a people, God, to study what you have to say to us today. And so my prayer is that the Holy Spirit would speak to us as we study together today. I pray, Father, that this would not just be an ordinary Sunday where we listen to a sermon or hear what the preacher has to say, but my prayer today is that we would engage with our hearts, God, that we would open, with, open our ears and our minds, God, that the Holy Spirit would help us to connect with the Word of God, that we would not just sit and listen and think about who this sermon applies to, but that we would receive it, God, and and let it minister to our own hearts about our own lives and our relationship with you. And so, Father, I pray today, God, that the word of God would resound in our minds, that it would resound in our lives, that we don't just, that we're not just a people who are hearers of the word, but we're people who are doers of the word. 
And so, Father, I pray today, God, that as I speak, that clarity, um, that clarity would be our portion, that we would understand what you're trying to say and what you're trying to communicate to us today. So, Holy Spirit, do what I cannot do, Father. Do, do what I can't do today. Make sure that your people walk away knowing that they are loved by God, that they are called by God, that we are your people, Father, and that we live to your glory. And so, Father, we thank you that we have this opportunity to study today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And the people of God said, amen. You may be seated. My sermon title for today is God's goal for his people. God's goal for his people. There's a recent Barna survey. Barna is a group that does surveys for Christians that, that kind of does surveys and ask uh, Christians to get correspondence from them about their spiritual practices and spiritual disciplines. Well, there's one particular study that was done in 2017 called Silent and Silo, How Americans Pray. Silent and Silo, How Americans Pray. What I was surprised to find was that 79% of Americans, now, now mind you, most of the people that were surveyed are Christians. The majority of people, not all, but the majority were, were Christians. 79% of Americans said that they have prayed at least once in the last three months. I thought that was amazing until I realized once in three months is not a lot of prayer. So, so Christians, 79% of Christians have prayed at least once in the last three months. I, I guess that's good because maybe people are praying somewhat, maybe, maybe not, not praying at all, but they're praying somewhat. But what, what I was more uh, curious about was not how often Christians were praying. What I was actually curious about is what Christians are actually praying. What, what are people actually saying to God when they go to him. I thought that that would be interesting to know, to be a fly on the wall in the prayer lives of Christians. And so they poll people, and I have a list of things that people were praying for. Now, I'll be, be honest with you. I was looking for this list to be absolutely salacious and crazy. I was looking for people to pray some crazy stuff. But to my surprise, people prayed some pretty decent stuff. The, the prayer life of pre people were, were actually pretty, pretty decent. And so I wanted to see not how often people were praying, but what people were praying about. Because I think, it just, just my estimation and my opinion, if I look at the totality of Scripture, what's important is not necessarily always the quantity of prayer, more so than what the quality of your prayer is. What, what difference does it make if you're praying often and praying wrong? And so this, this, this list is very interesting. 62% of people... 62% of people were praying primarily for gratitude and thanksgiving. People were thankful to God. People were praying just to tell God thank you. I was so encouraged by that until they divvied up and showed who was praying that particular prayer. Well, baby boomers had the highest percentage of people who were thankful to God. They were thankful probably just to still be alive. But, but, but on the low end of that spectrum, guess who was less likely to pray for Thanksgiving and be thankful to God? Millennials. Millennials often didn't, did not often pray for gratitude and thanksgiving. But 62% but of people overall prayed with thanksgiving and gratitude to God. 61% of people prayed for the needs of their family. That, that was to be expected. 49% of people prayed for God to help them in under personal crisis. God, help me get out of this mess that I'm in. God, let this be over. God, remove this crisis from my life. 47% of people pray for health and wellness. And then down at the bottom, which was a little crazy, 43% of the time people pray 
for forgiveness. That, that didn't round out the list. The rest of the list included things like prayers for safety, for a sense of peace, for blessing, for meals, for sleep. I guess people are sleep deprived these days. People were praying that God would help them sleep. And then people prayed for global causes and injustices in the world. However, however, for all intents and purposes and for today's purpose, I observed what was actually missing from the list. I observed what was actually missing from the list. When we read the letters of the Apostle Paul, if we read his New Testament letters to churches, the ones that he wrote to churches, not including what he wrote, personal letters that he wrote to Timothy and Titus, but the letters that he wrote to churches, all except for one letter, Paul's primary purpose in praying or his primary aim in praying for people was that they would grow spiritually. Paul's purpose in praying for the people that he was pastoring was that they would grow spiritually. That was important for Paul, that the people of God would grow spiritually. Paul prayed that the people of God would grow in their relationship with God. And it got me to thinking about my own personal prayer life, and I'm hoping that this would change you as well, how often do we pray not just for our needs and for the needs of people we know, but how often do we pray for people's spiritual needs? When was the last time that you prayed, man, I pray and I hope that my brother is growing in Christ. Lord, I'm praying today that my sister is growing in Christ. I'm praying that my brother or my sister are exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit. God, I pray that they would have godly growth in their lives. And so I want to say this today, the purpose of prayer is not just just for us to talk to God, but for us to come to know God as we pray. The purpose of prayer is not just for us to talk to God, but for us to come to know God as we pray pray. We're not just praying to God so that we can give God our laundry list or make our request to God about things that we want and things that we need. But the ultimate purpose in prayer is for us to come to know God and for God to make us more like him. And so if you are just praying a list before God, if you are just asking God for things that is transactional, not relational. And God is more concerned about relationship with you than he is about making transactions on your behalf. That is not to say that God won't answer your prayer. That is not to say that you can't make your request known to God. However, that's not the goal. The goal is for you to come to know God and for God to make you more like him, which leads to the ultimate purpose that God has determined and appointed for all people who bear his name. God's purpose for us is for us to be more like him, for each follower of Jesus Christ to be made more and more into his image. God's plan and purpose for you ultimately is not about a job. It's not about a house. It's not about a car. It's not about a job promotion. It's not about more money in the bank. God's goal for you is for you to be more like his son Jesus. Jesus. 
And so when we think about that and we look over scriptures, I love that John said, Beloved, we are God's children, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But when he does appear, we will be like him. We will be like him, and we will know him as he is. I love how Paul describes it in Romans 8, verse 29. You've heard this before, but look at God's goal for our lives. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, God predestined, he predetermined, he predetermined for us to be conformed to the image of his son so that we would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. God predetermined for you and I to be conformed to the image of his son. That's amazing because oftentimes we reduce God down and we want God to make us how we want to be. But God is like, no, I want to make you like me. God wants us to be more like his son, Jesus. And so the writer of this letter, the Apostle Paul, this was always his desire and always his goal for the people of God. And in today's passage, the aim is no different. God wants us to know him and to be more like him. And when he writes to this church, the book of Colossians, this is a church that is already exhibiting characteristics of genuine Christianity. If you read the the opening verses of this letter, before we get to verse 9, he talks about how they are already exhibiting faith, love, and hope. Faith, love, and hope. They already are exhibiting faith, love, and hope. They have faith in Christ. That faith in Christ is working itself out in love of people. Let me pause and say this. If you have faith in Christ, but you don't love people, you don't have faith in Christ. Because if you have faith in Christ, that, that, that outworking of that faith is not just personal between you and God, but it works itself out in your love for other people. God desires not just for him to love us, but for, for us to love him. God desires for us to love him and for us to love other people. We demonstrate our love for God, not just how we interact with him on a personal basis, but we demonstrate our love for God, how we interact with other people. They were exhibiting faith in Christ, love for other people, and and they had a hope that was reserved for them in heaven. They were looking to the future when Christ will return and come back for his bride. And so they as a church were exhibiting this genuine, authentic Christianity. It also says that they appreciated the grace of God. I love this church because this church was well aware that the grace that they were experiencing, this faith, this hope, this love that they were experiencing was not due to them doing anything, but it was sheerly by the grace of God. free gift of salvation that he lavished on them, that while they were sinners, Christ died for them, that God loved them first. Their love for others and their love for God was just a response to the love that God had already had for them. And I want to say this to you and I today, that, that we should be appreciative of God's grace in our lives. If you are saved, if you are walking with Jesus, if you know peace, if you know joy, if you know forgiveness, if you know love, it is not because you're smart. It is not because you've accomplished some stuff. It is not because of the family you came from. It is surely due to the grace of God that while we were sinners, God saw us in our predicament and God shed his love on people like you and I. And so they had this appreciation for the grace of God. This gospel saved them and transformed them and they were still growing. And Paul's prayer was that their growth would continue. 
Instead of just congratulating them on their progress, Paul prays that they would continue to grow. And I want to say this to you today. If you see God's growth in someone's life, life, don't just tell them, hey, I see that you're growing. But God desires that we would pray that they would keep on growing, that we would all continue to grow in Christ. We, are, we have never arrived in Christianity. There's always room for us to grow. There, there's always more love for us to experience in our relationship with God and with other people. And Paul says this in verse 9, we haven't stopped praying for you. We haven't stopped praying for you. This is prayer without ceasing. Paul says, I I haven't stopped praying for you. I am still praying for you. Paul did not want them to rest on their laurels and get comfortable or complacent in their relationship with God. Paul knew the dangers of complacency. So Paul says, we haven't stopped praying for you. What an assurance that is to know that somebody somewhere is always praying for you. That, that's an amazing assurance. He, so so he, didn't, he didn't pray that they would just celebrate where they were, although it may have been a cause for celebration. He wanted to make sure that they didn't get complacent in their relationship with God, so therefore Paul didn't get complacent in his praying. Let me say this today. We should never be complacent with our walk with God, and we should never become complacent in our prayer life. We should be a people that always have something to pray about. I think Paul prayed in this way not only because of the human tendency to complacency, but also he knew that there would always be distractions and challenges that impede upon the growth of the people of God. I'm sure everybody in this room can testify that man walking with Jesus is not a walk in the park. It's a hard walk, but it's a hard walk that is not absent of joy, of love, of peace, of patience. Right? It is a hard walk, but we know that even in that walk, God is with us. But Paul knew that there would be some distractions that would come their way. And so Paul is praying this prayer because he knew or he desired that their, that their hope would be renewed, that they would never lose their fire and their zeal. There's nothing sadder than, than seeing somebody who at one point in one season of their life was walking with God, on fire for God, loving Jesus reading the word of God, praying, always in church, and then something in life happened, and then they got stuck in a standstill. I I hate to see that. And part of the responsibility is not just on the people, not just on the person, but we own part of that responsibility. My question is, for the people that we've noticed have become complacent in their walk with God, have we stopped praying for them? God puts a responsibility on us for us to continue to pray for the saints. There is always a reason that you and I should be praying. We should never give up on people. We should never stop praying for people. If we know that somebody has not come to know the Lord, our job is not to shake our head at them and wag our finger in their face. No, our job is to get down on our knees and to keep praying for those people. If God is still who God is, God can save anybody. If God is who God is, God can take anybody who is stuck in a rut and move them out of that rut and get them on a journey to continue to follow Jesus. We should always be praying. There's always a reason for our our purpose in praying. We should always be praying for family members. We should always be praying for our neighbors. We should always be praying for our brothers and sisters in the Lord. If God is who God is, it's never too late for us to pray. Never too late for us to pray. And so Paul is praying this prayer because in their particular context, they're dealing with something. These, these false teachers 
have somewhat come in the church or are trying to pick off the people of God. These false teachers are teaching this, this mysticism, this astrology, and all those types of things. I'm, I'm, always, I'm always a little perplexed when I see Christians post on social media about their zodiac signs. It's always a little perplex. It's always a little perplexing to me. Oh, you know how us Aries are. Oh, okay. That's interesting. Oh, you know I'm a Pisces. You know our Pisces. We just love people. You know how we are. The Sagittarius. You know how we are. I'm like, oh, it's a little weird. I thought you were a follower of Jesus. I thought your identity was him, not in a, in a zodiac sign. And so this is, this is what's happening in this church. These people are preaching this mysticism, this uh, uh, astrology. You know, what, you, you know what I need you to know today? That if, if you are into astrology and zodiac signs and all of those type and birthstones and all those type of things, what you're communicating, what you don't know that you actually may be communicating is that God is not enough. That, that his revelation to you in his word is not enough for you. So therefore, you got to go to some other means and worship the creation rather than giving all of your worship to the creator. And, and so Paul knows that this is a distraction because of the culture that they live in. They taught that Jesus was not enough. And Paul's retort to that is Jesus is enough. He is the supreme God. He is your all sufficiency. Jesus is more than enough for everything that you need. God has given us everything for life and godliness, and it is found in Christ Jesus. And if you're here today, you feel like I need more than this that there's always room for us to grow in our relationship with God. Paul wants them to know that Jesus is more than enough. He wants them to continue to grow in God and love him more so that when the phony substitutes come, they're not tempted to go after those things. And so this is what he's praying for. He says, we haven't stopped praying for you. You don't, you don't say that unless it's significant and, and important. Pr- prayer is not a trivial matter to Paul. Paul is praying that they would grow. Growth is so important to Paul because growth is important to God. God wants us to grow. We, we have the responsibility to pray not just for our own growth but for the growth of others. And so Paul in this particular text prays a, a threefold prayer for the growth of the saints. And his goal in this prayer is for them to keep on growing. And so we're going to look at three things today from this text that Paul is praying for. For three things that Paul is praying for. Number one, Paul is praying for godly growth. Number two, Paul is praying for godly strength. And number three, Paul is praying for godly gratitude. Number one, Paul is praying for godly growth. Number two, Paul is praying for godly strength. And number three, he's praying for godly gratitude. Let's let's look at godly growth. Verses 9 through 10 says this. We are asking that you be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. We're asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. And the primary thing is that we will continue to grow, that will continue to grow us and others 
is our knowledge of God. And so when you think knowledge of God, I don't want you to think information. I want you to think relationship. When we, hear, we see the word knowledge, don't think information. Think relationship. This knowledge that, that he wants them to have is a knowledge that actually begins not with information, but with a proper attitude towards God a proper heart posture towards God. If you want knowledge of God, then I think the Proverbs can help us with this. Proverbs 1 and 7 says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And when he says fear, he's not talking about being scared. He's talking about reverence and honor. Fear of the Lord, reverence and honor of God is the beginning of knowledge, or as your version of the Bible may say, wisdom. The fear of the fear of the Lord is the beginning of, of, of knowledge. And so our heart posture towards God matters. How we come to God matters. We must come in fear of the Lord with reverence with honor and respect for who God is. He's saying approach him as God. He's, he's talking about how we encounter God in a personal relationship with him, having personal knowledge of God, this knowledge that the Spirit of God imparts into us. He says, I pray that you would have this, that you would be filled with knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. I love that this text addresses the will of God because we have made the will of God into this great mystery that oftentimes ties us in knots and paralyzes us from making decisions, and we find ourselves looking for every sign and every feeling about what we should do. Anybody ever been there before? I want to know what God's will is for this. You can't figure it out. You're looking for God to just throw you a sign from somewhere. You know how shaking a little eight ball thing, you ever saw the little things that you sell in the store to shake the little eight ball we're looking for signs and looking at astrology and trying to decipher things in creation. But what if I told you that God is so kind that God doesn't want you to be confused? That God loves us enough that God wants us to be clear. God has no desire, hear me, God has no desire for us to be confused about his will. God, God is a kind God. He's a good God. He's a loving God. He does not want you to be confused. And this passage in particular is not even about whether you should take this job or move to this city or get into this relationship. No, th those things are never primary to God. Hear me, those things are never primary to God. Remember, God is sovereign. You can serve God in Orlando or in Los Angeles. God is not going to leave you if you move from Winter Park to Winter Springs. Right? God, God, God is sovereign, right? He's sovereign in those things. I'm not saying we don't use wisdom and we don't want to honor God in the decisions, in the practical day-to-day -day decisions that we make. But we must trust in the sovereignty of God. God is more concerned with whether the decisions that we make will honor him or not. God, God is more concerned with whether your move would bring you closer to him or further away from him. You're worried about will the move allow you to make more money or have a better job. God is more concerned with whether this move will draw you away from him or, dry, or, or bring you closer to him. 
God is always concerned about your relationship with him in your process of decision making. He says he wants them to have the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Here's what he's saying. He wants them to be able to discern the truth and make good decisions based on that truth. Oftentimes we get confused on things, not because it's not clear, but because we don't use the primary means that God has given us to help us make decisions that will honor him. What are you talking about? The first place to go when you're trying to discern God's will for your life is to the Word of God. And I think that we don't go there first because that requires work and effort. So we would rather try to interpret omens or go ask friends rather than see what the Word of God has to say. And God's word is pretty clear in helping us determine what is true from what is not true. The word of God enables us to filter through the seductive and self-serving cultural influence that surrounds us on a day-to-day basis that attempts to ingrain us with ourselves. God's word helps us to filter through this. The word of God communicates to us the heart of God, which will prayerfully help us align our decisions with him. But that's not where wisdom and spiritual understanding actually begins. Reading the word of God is not where the will of God uh, ends. It's not there. You know how you know the will of God when you can see what his word is. This is wisdom. When you can see what the word of God says and then do what it says. In those days and times, a person was not wise because they talked about a thing and because they intellectually knew a thing. A person was wise when they knew something and they did something based on the information that they had. So for for us today, if we look at the Word of God, we study the Word of God, we see what it says about God and what He commands of us, if we see it and read it and do nothing about it, that means that we don't have wisdom. But true wisdom comes not from just hearing the Word of God but from doing the word of God. The benefit for us is as we obey more, God reveals more. As we follow him, we come to know more of who he is and what he demands of us. But if all we see the word, if all we see the word of God as something that is optional for us on whether we should do or not, then that's not walking in wisdom. And so when he prays for them to have knowledge of his will and all wisdom and all understanding, what he's saying is based on the word of God and based on his truth, make decisions that coincide with that. Those decisions will lead you into greater knowledge of who God is and what God requires of you. Knowing the will of God begins with doing what God actually says to do. But we would rather guess. We would rather roll the dice. We would rather shoot craps about what we should do with God when God in his word is telling us the things that would align with his heart. The ultimate goal is never to know things. The ultimate goal is to know him. God desires for us to know him, not stuff, but to know him. And as we make decisions based on his word we grow more and more in that knowledge and understanding and what I've observed is that oftentimes what's most important to God in decision making is making a decision based on what would lead me in the area of growth and so here's questions that you should ask when trying to decipher the will of God for your life when you're trying to discern God's will and what you should do 
which choice leads me in the way that will please God and cause me to grow in him? Based on the word of God, will this choice that I make help or hinder my growth in Christ? Will this decision make room for God to sanctify me even more? If I do this or go there or decide this, will this cause greater God dependency or just more complacency? And so now I want you to think. Let's give you a moment right in the middle of my sermon. Let you take some of my time. And I want you to think about the decisions that you and I have to make on a day-to-day basis. I want you to think about the main major decisions that stand in front of us. Whether we should stay or we should go. Whether we should do this or whether we should do that. And I want us to consider in light of that, in light of those questions that I just posed to you, will the decision that you make, if you do this thing, will this lead you to a greater area of growth in God? Or will this thing just cause you to be more complacent and be more self-sufficient? God is calling us to make decisions based on things that would allow us to grow more in him. The wisdom and spiritual understanding that comes from God is not an end in itself. God wants us to know him and know his will so that we can grow in him. Look at verse, verse 10. Look at this. So that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. He wants them to know the will of God so that they can walk worthy of God and be fully pleasing to him. Bearing good fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. Here's why. Because knowledge and behavior were always bound together. Knowledge of something and your behavior were always together. It was never intended for you to know something and not let that knowledge affect how you live in light of the knowledge that you have. Are y'all hearing me? And so a person was never considered an expert or, or, or knowledgeable on a subject matter until they lived what they spoke about. And that's hard for us because we live in an age of social media where if you got a phone and a camera on it, you can be an expert at whatever you want to be an expert at, and people will like it. Every day we, we live in a generation of people who follow people that don't know what they're talking about. We take financial advice from people who got no money. We take spiritual advice from people who don't even read the Bible. We take career advice from people whose career They don't have a career. Their career is telling you about a career that you don't have. They made a career out of telling you about a career because they didn't want to work a nine to five. (laughs) But that was never the case. You were never an expert until we could prove that the knowledge that you have fleshed itself out in the way that you lived. So spiritual, true spiritual knowledge actually means action. You don't know the gospel until you live the gospel. And Christ has made us new. He's made us a new creation. He's redeemed us to live a spirit-filled and spirit-dependent life that pleases God. I want you to notice something in verse 10. I want you to notice something. When he says fully pleasing to him, there's a colon there. 
There's a colon there. There's a colon there or there's a comma there. And it tells us two things. Here's what it means to, to live a life worthy of the Lord and to be fully pleasing to him. Two things. Number one, we will bear fruit in every good work. And number two, we will grow in the knowledge of God. He's saying here's what it looks like to live a life fully pleasing to God. We will bear fruit in every good work and we will grow in the knowledge of God. This is what it looks like to live a life pleasing to God. Let me tell you this about bearing fruit in every good work. We were created to bear fruit fruit in all we do. If there is no fruit, there is no faith. If you don't see fruit, there's no faith. We were created to bear fruit. Ephesians 2 and 10. This is amazing. Paul said this, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time For us to do, I love that God had already predetermined the work that we would do. God already planned it out so that we don't have to guess. We are his workmanship created in him for good works. God created us to do good works. Works not to secure our salvation, but the works that we do are the fruit of our salvation. This is the journey in the life of a Christian. We're not doing works so that we can gain God's approval. We're not doing works so that we can go to heaven. We're not showing the, work up on time, showing the work on time. We're not paying our taxes. We're not coming to church and serving. We're not giving to the house of God. We're not doing good deeds in our community to gain salvation. We're doing it because we already have salvation. And so the good works that God gives us is not so that we can secure our salvation with God and God can accept us and we can go to heaven. No. We do this because we've already been given the gift of salvation. Our work is a response of that. Our work is a response of that. Now, everything we do, no matter whether you're executive on the top floor or you own the company or own the business or you're at the low level, a minimum wage employee, or you're a stay-at-home mom, does not matter. Everything that we do, every, t- every single bit of work that we do can be glorified. It's glo- God glorifying. It is redemptive because God created us to do good works for his glory. This is what God has called us to do. How we live is, is bringing God glory and his extension of Christ in the world. He wants us to bear good fruit and he wants us to grow in the knowledge of God. I love this because growing in the knowledge of God is this. We serve him and we get more knowledge of him. The more we know him, the more we love him. The more we love him, the more we desire to obey God. The more we obey God, the cycle just continues. The more we love, the more we know him. So God has called us to grow in our knowledge of him. Even Paul says, my goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Paul understood that the Christian life can be daunting, challenging. Because of our sin, which all of us have, we oftentimes get in the way of what God is trying to do. We are incapable on our own to do what God commands of us. We need God for God. We we can't do anything without him. But the beautiful good news of the gospel is God provides everything that we need to please him. One of the primary things that that, that we all need at times more than stuff is strength. More than stuff, we need God's strength. Because of Christ, we have that strength. Everybody, if you live through the last two years, one thing we know that we need more than stuff is we need God's strength. 
If we've ever been weak, it's been in these last two years. Life has been absolutely crazy. And so what, what, we, what is your presence today in the house of God in light of everything that has happened and everything going on now is a result of God's strength in your life. His strength has been made perfect in your weakness. And so Paul's second prayer for them after their growth is that God would give them strength. Verse 11, being strengthened with all power, according, according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience. I love this because God doesn't allow us to depend on our own strength. God gives us his power and his strength. And let me tell you something about the strength of God. God's strength is unlimited. God, is not, God don't need a spotter on the bitch press. God don't need somebody to stand behind him and, and, and help him lift up the weight like me. I need, I need a spotter just for the bar. But God's not like that. God's country strong. You ever met somebody that's country strong? They're strong because you've been working out, and there's the strong that you, you just woke up in the morning and they were strong. There's some people that just just strong and don't know their own strength. This is how God is. God is country strong. God can move anything out of the way. God can lift anything up out of the ashes. God can move any problem out of the way. God can help us sustain in anything that we find ourselves in. We don't need our strength. We need God's strength. And God is ready to give us an endless supply of the strength that we need. He says we're strengthened by his glorious might. This, This glorious might is the same strength, the same power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead. I want you to think about that. The same power that raised Jesus from death to life is the same power that's at work in us. That's the same power that we have and that we have access to. He wants them to have strength, great endurance and patience. I love it. Great endurance and patience. This endurance piece is about being able to bear up under any difficult circumstance, to be able to hold our position in battle. But then he says endurance, and then he says patience. He separates the two because endurance is for circumstances, but patience is for people. I love it because you're saying, I, I can handle stuff. What I really need is something for people because oftentimes we realize that the thing is all right. I can handle the thing, but what's really working my last nerve this, this season of my life is not things, but it's people. And God says, I'm going to give you endurance for the stuff, and I'm going to give you patience for the people. I love this. I love this. I love what Proverbs 16:32 says, because we all need patience. Patience is better than power. Whew. Patience is better than power and controlling one's emotions than capturing a city. How many of you know that you don't just need some strength and endurance, you need some patience? Endurance is possible for situations, and patience is what we show to impossible people. And the power of the gospel provides us with both. For that freedom and for that power that comes from the grace of God, because we know that we have this endurance, we know we have, we have strength, we know that we have the power of God, Paul prays for the third and final thing. In verse 11, he says, joyfully, joyfully joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. Everything that we have, this growth, God's strength, is due to this one thing, God's grace. If we have anything, it's due to the grace of God. 
If God gives us grace, then we respond with gratitude. If God gives us grace, we respond with gratitude. We respond with gratitude because we know his grace is a gift. We didn't earn it. We don't deserve it. But he freely gives it to us. And so Paul prays that they would joyfully give thanks to God. That they would have godly gratitude. They have this inheritance from God. This inheritance of salvation that none of us earned or deserve. This inheritance that we have. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Because even if your parents don't leave you inheritance, God has. You all, because of Christ, trust fund babies. You're like, if that was in real life, I wouldn't have these student loans. But because of Christ, every debt has been canceled. And we don't have a debt, but we have an inheritance in him. He's brought us from darkness into the light. Paul goes back to what God has done. They can give God thanks. They can have godly gratitude because of the grace of God, that that God has saved us. God has spared our lives. I'm done, but verses 13 and 14 puts it in plain sight for us. I love this. Verses 13 and 14 says this, For he has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. This this inheritance that we have was a part of a rescue and transfer operation. God saw us in bondage. God delivered us from bondage of sin. He took us out of the darkness. He didn't just take us and left us in this neutral place, but he took us and rescued us and brought us into a new kingdom. He brought us into the light of God. He brought us into this kingdom, and now we're no longer slaves for freedom. Christ has set us free, and now now we're free to serve him and in that freedom we no longer have bondage and darkness and sin and wickedness but now we have freedom salvation love peace joy patience we have all of that in him these are things that we've inherited that are ours that are our possession that we experience now but we'll experience in the full when Jesus comes back to get us if you're experiencing peace and joy now it pales into comparison with what Jesus is bringing in the future he's bringing a peace that we have never experienced. He's bringing a joy that we, would, that we have never known. He's bringing a healing that we've never experienced before. Not just healing for our physical bodies, but he is healing every emotion, every heartbreak, every disappointment, every bit of anguish, every tear that we've cried. God will wipe away every tear. This is a part of our inheritance, so we have something to look forward to in the future. God didn't just save us to save us. God saved us with a plan and a purpose that we would eventually Glorify him and be with him forever. And this is what God in the gospel has done for us. That he paid for our freedom with his life. The blood that was shed on Calvary's cross was for our sake. He died so that we could experience this forgiveness and this freedom. And that same Jesus that died has been raised to life. And the good news is this. You and I have been raised with him. 
And I want to leave you with this. Romans 6, 9 through 11. It's beautiful. Romans 9, 11, 9, Romans 6, 9 through 11 says this. Because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death no longer rules over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all time. But the life he lives, he lives to God. And here's where we get in, where we fit in. So you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is not about how you feel about yourself. This is about what God has already done for you. This is a call for us not to live in reality of our feelings, but for us to live in reality of the truth. And the truth is, is that who the Son sets free is free indeed. That you don't have to feel free to know that you are free. And this is what God has done for us. And this is what Paul wanted them to know. That they would continue to grow in this knowledge. That they would grow in God's strength. And that they would have this godly gratitude all that he'd done. So this is God's plan for our lives. For us to grow in him, for us to be strengthened by him, and for us to be grateful for everything that he's done for us. And so, Pastor, what am I supposed to do with this? Here's what you're supposed to do with this. That you and I are supposed to, by the power of the Spirit, utilize every opportunity that God gives us to grow. That when we pray that when we ask of God, our prayer is not just for stuff, but our prayer is for him. God, I've asked you for all these things, but at the end of the day, if you don't do any of this, God, I'll be satisfied with more of you. And so this is what our, our prayer is today, that we will continue to grow in him so that we would know him. And that whenever God gives us an opportunity to grow in Him, to lean on Him, to depend on Him, we make decisions in light of that. Not in light of comfort and complacency, but in light of God dependency. What will drive us to greater dependency on Him? What will drive us to the cross? This is, this is our desire. This is our prayer. And this is His desire for our lives. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your grace. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If it was a blessing to you, please consider visiting our website, outpouringorlando.com, to connect with us and to also give financial support. If you are ever in the Orlando area, we would love to serve and worship with you. Have a wonderful week.